Well, good morning, everyone. How are you? You know, it is uh, so true that when we hear the word serving, so many different things run through our mind. You know, like fears of commitment and, you know, concerns about having to connect with certain people that we're really worried about, or maybe even just hidden motives. You know what I'm talking about? The things that you think about, but you'd never really say out loud, you know? Like some of you right now, you're thinking to yourselves, I know this. Okay, so the youth pastor's up there talking about serving. We're just going to get this pitch later about serving in, with teenagers later, right? You know, I'm going to have to pierce my belly button, get a tattoo, and talk to teenagers about their hormones. Not going to happen. Not going to happen. So many confusing thoughts about serving. You know, it kind of reminds me, I don't know if you remember, um, several years ago, there was this classic TV show called The Twilight Zone. You remember that? And there's this great episode where these aliens come to Earth, and as they arrive on the planet, they bring this incredible gift to mankind. It's a book written in their alien language, and they tell them that the translated name of the book is To Serve Man. And so, as the aliens go out and they're doing good deeds all across the planet, there's a group of translators translating the rest of the book. Well, these aliens are putting this amazing advanced intelligence to work, and they begin solving some of humankind's greatest issues, like poverty and war and disease. And so they win the hearts and affections of all of the human beings. And soon, people begin volunteering to these special excursions to the home planet on the spaceship. Well, (laughs) one of the translators is getting ready to board the spaceship when one of his fellow translators who just finished translating the book runs up to him, stop, stop, don't enter the spaceship. The book to save man, it's a cookbook. (laughs) So the whole time the human beings were thinking that this great book to serve man was about serving mankind and meeting his needs. But indeed, what they really wanted to serve man was for dinner. And so we move from the twilight zone to the New Testament. And as we do, we find that Jesus is constantly having to translate to his disciples what it really means to serve others. Over and over again, he's speaking to them and telling them about the true meaning of this. And they're not quite understanding it. They're getting confused. And so just like then, I think today we really need Jesus to teach us about the true meaning and significance of serving others. The key verse for our series is this. We've seen it before, but it's 1 John 2, 6, and it says, those who say they live in God should live their lives as Jesus did. And if we're going to really be like Jesus, then we need to learn to be servants because Jesus was a servant, right? So if you have a Bible with you, uh, why don't you turn with me to Matthew And we're going to look at chapter 20. And what's really interesting is if you kind of thumb back through a few of the previous chapters, you'll find something really interesting. Jesus has a consistent message of putting others first. You'll see stories in here like Jesus telling them that the kingdom of God were to receive it like a little child, that we're to serve the poor and issues about the least being the greatest in the kingdom of God, and about Jesus himself talking about how he's going to suffer and die and give his his life as a ransom for others. 
And that's the context. As we get to our passage right here, Matthew 20, verse 20, it says this. Then the mother of James and John, the sons of Zebedee, come to Jesus with her sons. She nails respectfully and asks a favor. What is your request? He asked. She replied, in your kingdom, please let my two sons sit in places of honor next to you, one on your right and one on your left. I've always found this incredibly humorous. I don't know about you, but here's James and John, and they have this request of Jesus, so they bring their mother. Ma, come tell Jesus what great boys we are. <laughs> you know, and so their mother comes up to Jesus, you know, and, and, and she's like, Jesus, these boys were supposed to be a doctor and a lawyer, but you know what? Even better than that, put them on your right and your left. It'll be great. But, you know, as I studied this passage, something incredible leapt out to me. I, a commentator mentioned this. I'd never seen this before. And that's this, that if you study very carefully and compare the gospel accounts of the women that were present at Jesus's cross when he was being crucified, you'll find that one of the women there, her name was Salome. Now, Salome is very fascinating. Salome was actually Mary's sister. And so what's really going on here is that James and John are bringing Jesus's aunt, his mother's sister, to kind of push forward this little family connection thing to see their request be pushed forward. Kind of a little sly, isn't it? And if you think about it, the request itself is incredibly brash. <laughs> I mean, what these guys are basically saying is that of all the great people of God that we can think of through the entire biblical record, what they're saying is that they would be the ones that would be the highest of all of those that would sit at the right and the left of the king of heaven. And so Jesus addresses them this way in verse 22. But Jesus answered by saying to them, you don't know what you're asking. Are you able to drink from the bitter cup of suffering I'm about to drink? Oh, yes, they said, we're able. And Jesus told them, you will indeed drink from my bitter cup. But I have no right to say who will sit on my right or my left. My Father has prepared these places for the ones whom He has chosen. Jesus told them they had no idea that the greatest in the kingdom of heaven were those who would sacrifice and suffer and give their life for others. He did tell them that they would suffer and that their suffering would make them the servants that they needed to be but that those places of honor would be chosen by the Father. So we move to verse 24, and it says, When the other ten disciples heard what James and John asked, they were indignant. I'll bet. <laughs> I mean, they were furious with these guys. I mean, I'm sure that they figured that they deserved at least the same honor, maybe even more. And so they're all scrambling and trying to get to the front of the pack and trying to be the top of the heap, the ones with the most recognition. And Jesus addresses them. And we go move to verse 25. Jesus calls them together and he said, you know that the rulers in this world lord it over their people and the officials flaunt their authority over those under them. But among you, it will be different. Whoever wants to be a leader among you must be your servant. And whoever wants to be first among you must become your slave. Now, Jesus certainly said some very unconventional and some confusing things to them. But you'd think as many times as he repeated this message that it would have sunk in. 
that being a disciple is being a servant. Matter of fact, verse 28, he really underlines it, our key verse for the morning. For even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. Jesus said that the whole reason that he came was to serve others. And so to be like Jesus is to give our life in service and sacrifice to others. That's the core of what it even means to be a Christian. And so a key point for our morning that's on your outline there, I encourage you to fill it in, is this. We have been saved to serve. We've been saved to serve. God uh, saved us to express his character. He created us in his image so that we reflect who he is. And our actual salvation is a restoration of that original purpose of what he created us for. And so Ephesians 2.10 tells us, for we are God's masterpiece. I love that. He's created us anew in Christ Jesus so that we can do the things that he planned for us long ago. So many people, um, you know, they feel empty and that their life doesn't have meaning or, or, or matter because they've missed the purpose of life. And that's as we give that we receive. And Jesus said it so well himself. He says, as, as we lay down our own life is when we truly discover what life is all about. And so, you know, we continue in the story and as we continue through the gospels, we see Jesus saying the same thing. This was a great discovery from this week. It just overwhelmed me. I was looking through story after story, continuing the same theme about others first. And he talks about how the least are invited to the great feast of God and how the greatest commandment, remember, is to love God more than ourselves, to put others before ourselves. He drills this over and over again. And then his time begins to come to an end. And Jesus begins to realize that the teaching time is over. And he's done what he can with his disciples. And he gathers these friends of his together for a last meal. And it's fascinating that Luke, as he records this in, in chapter 22, he says that even at this last meal, the disciples have this big argument as to who's the greatest. <laughs> Who's the greatest among them? You know, I, I, I think that uh, if I were Jesus at this point, just kind of being honest, <laughs> I think I would have tossed my matzah. <laughs> I think, you know that, that moment where Jesus in the temple, brings, you know, he, he grabs the whip and he's just like, shh, shh, shh. you know, I think I would have been that guy and just said, I'll show you who's the greatest. It's a fascinating thing that if you ever notice, the, I'm so glad the, the Apostle John records this. I don't know if you've noticed this, but this incident, you know, doesn't appear anywhere else in the other Gospels. All the other Gospels focus on this meal of the Last Supper, but John gives us an insight that the others don't because he wrote his Gospel last, and he wanted to make sure that we didn't miss this very important moment that happened before the meal even began. And this is where Jesus took the teaching of putting others first and put it into practice. It's where he actually humbly served them. And we find that one of our first places that we can learn to be like Jesus is this, that we serve with humility. 
And we serve with humility. And so we head over to John's Gospel, where the Apostle John records one of the most powerful examples of humility that's recorded in all of the Bible. John 13, 1 to 5, says this. Before the Passover celebration, Jesus knew that his hour had come to leave this world and return to his Father. And he'd loved his disciples during his ministry on earth. And now he loved them to the very end. And it was time for supper. And the devil had already prompted Judas, son of Simon Iscariot, to betray Jesus. And Jesus knew that the Father had given him authority over everything and that he had come from God and would return to God. So he got up from the table. He took off his robe. He wrapped a towel around his waist and poured a water into a basin. And he began to wash the disciples' feet drying them with the towel that he had around him. Now, foot washing was a very common practice in that day. Any host of a dinner party, what they would do is they would have a servant present in order to take, help take off the sandals of the guests, begin to wash their feet and clean them so that they were comfortable before dinner. You see, contrary to Leonardo da Vinci's beautiful painting of the Lord's Supper, sorry, Leonardo, But people weren't seated behind a table, but what they did is they reclined on the floor on couches, leaning on their left side, eating with their right hand, and their feet would be near the face of the person next to them. Hence the very important practice of foot washing. Because if if you think about it, they wore sandals, and the roads that they traveled on were very dusty. They were traveled by animals that would carry people and goods, and animals do what animals do. And so a servant, again, would have to wash very thoroughly and get the mud and the dirt and the filth and the manure off of these feet. Foot washing was a horrendous job, really. It was not very attractive, and and it was always given to the lowest of the slaves. It was a very humble job. In fact, it's interesting that not even Jewish slaves had to perform this. It was reserved even just for Gentiles. And so you can kind of see that the last thing that any of these disciples wanted to do was take the role of the lowest slave. They would never want to stoop that low. And so after the food had been prepared and brought forward, Jesus went and rose from the table and grabbed the water and the bowl and he knelt down before his disciples took his robe off as a servant would, and he began to wash their dirty feet. And if you can just imagine, the disciples were shocked by this act of humility. They were overwhelmed. In fact, the very word humility in the original Greek language means to stoop low. And so Jesus before them was literally a picture of humility. You see, Jesus had explained to them so many times, over and over again, about what serving others was all about. And I don't think it was their lack of intelligence that kept them from understanding this lesson. I think what it was, was their pride. Their pride blinded them from the message that Jesus wanted them to know would unleash the power of God in their life. 
There's only one thing that kills pride, and that is humility. Philippians chapter 2, 3 through 8 says this. Don't be selfish. Don't try to impress others, but be humble. Think of others as better than yourselves. Don't look out for your own interests, but take an interest in others too. You must have the same attitude that Jesus Christ had. Though he was God, yet he didn't think of equality with God as something to cling to. Instead, he gave up his divine privileges. He took the humble position of a slave, and he was born as a human being. And when he appeared in human form, he humbled himself in obedience to God, and he died a criminal's death on the cross. You see, true humility is when you're so focused on the needs of others that you don't even think about your own. You're not worried about if you're higher or lower than someone else. You're not thinking about yourself at all. There's this great story about a little boy. And the little boy noticed that next door, his, his neighbor he had a brand new Cadillac in the, in the driveway. And he just was fascinated by that. So he ran over and the man saw him come and he walked outside and he said, Hey, son. Did you see my new car? My brother gave it to me. And the boy said, wow. And the man said, I'll bet you wish you had a brother like that. And the boy said, no, sir. I really wished that I could be a brother like that. A true picture of humility. So I want to help us get a real good handle on what this is all about how many of you, you remember service stations? Does anybody remember service stations? Before we had gas stations, we had service stations. And the great thing about it is when you pulled up to the pump, you'd hear this, right? You'd hear the, the ding, ding. And then the service attendant would walk up and ask you, how can I help you? And they would pump your gas, right? It's great. Wipe down your windshield, check your oil. They'd make sure you had the right tire pressure in all of your tires. See, a great service attendant embrace the identity of being a servant. And that's what I think we need to challenge ourselves to do, is to view ourselves entirely different, like a servant. I think that that is what Jesus would want us to do. So here's a challenge for you. The next time you enter a room, I want you to think in your head, okay, I want you to hear the bell, and I want you to ask yourself, how can I help? Okay? So, for instance, you head into work. Can I help get you some coffee? <laughs> you come home from a long day at work. Can I help serve you? Or can I help serve dinner? Right? You come to church. Can I help open that door for you? You walk into Kmart. Can I help clean your restroom? <laughs> Maybe that's a little far. But what I want to encourage us to do is consider taking up the towel and serving others like Jesus did. So here we come to our next point of how to serve like Jesus. And that's this. To serve with compassion. To serve with compassion. Compassion is looking at others with deep empathy. You know, it's feeling their affliction, it's identifying their need, and it's meeting those needs in love. That's what compassion is. So we, 
Go to, cha- or, or to verse 6, John 13, 6. When Jesus came to Simon Peter, uh, Peter said to him, Lord, are you going to wash my feet? And Jesus replied, you'd understand now what I'm doing, but someday you will. No, Peter replied, you will never, ever wash my feet. And Jesus replied, unless I wash you, you won't belong to me. See, for a superior to bow down and serve an inferior was completely out of sync with both Roman and Jewish culture. Unheard of. And that's why um, Peter just completely protests, Lord, you are not going to wash my feet. But Jesus explains to Peter and responds that only those who are cleansed by him are united with him in eternal life. Washing was this biblical metaphor that meant spiritual cleansing. And Jesus was saying to Peter, Peter, you have to let me cleanse you. My love for you compels me to serve you. My concern for your soul drives me to my knees. Peter, you don't understand this right now, but I'm giving my life for you. Verse 9. So Simon Peter exclaimed, Then wash my hands and my head as well. Lord, not just my feet. (laughs) And Jesus replied, A person who is bathed all over does not need to wash except for the feet to be entirely clean. And you disciples are clean, but not all of you. For Jesus knew who would betray him. And that that is what he meant when he said, Not all of you are clean. Do you ever wonder um, what it was like for Jesus to bend down and hold and wash the feet of Judas, the man who would betray him? As he's holding those feet and realizing that in just a few moments, those feet would run off to betray him and lead him to his death. You know, on a mountain... Not too long before that, Jesus had told his disciples, he said to them, he said, to pray for their enemies, to pray for those who persecute them. And in that moment, Jesus did exactly that. You see, he was able to look at Judas with eyes of love and compassion and and, and see beyond the situation so that he could truly love. He took his eyes off of himself in order to see the needs of others and love them with compassion. Galatians 5, 13 and 14 says this. If you've been called to live in freedom, my brothers and sisters, but don't use your freedom to satisfy your sinful nature. Instead, use your freedom to serve one another in love. For the whole law can be summed up in this one command. Love your neighbor as yourself. You see, the one that serves with compassion wins the heart of others. And that's the way that we love our world, is through compassionate service. So to help us out, there's another application point for you. And that's this. When we're serving with compassion, especially when it's difficult, is to ask God to help you see others as he does. See, God sees at this deeper level, this deep level, 
where he sees into the soul down deep, and God can help us see. And when we see with God's eyes, then we can love with God's heart. So the third way we can learn to serve like Jesus is to serve with obedience. To serve with obedience. So when I imagine this scene, and Jesus is down and, and, and he's washing the disciples' feet, I just, I, I just imagine that it's just, you ever had those moments where it's just the silence is thick, you cut it with a knife, and there's just this moment, powerful moment. And Jesus fills this moment as he finishes with this dirty towel and this bowl of muddy water with a powerful mandate. Verse 12, after washing their feet, he put on his robe again and he sat down and asked, do you understand what I was doing? You call me teacher and Lord, and you're right because that's what I am. And since I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you ought to wash each other's feet. I've given you an example to follow. Do as I have done for you. I tell you the truth, that slaves are not greater than their master, nor is the messenger more important than the one who sends the message. Now that you know these things, God will bless you for doing them. Jesus was telling them, you know these things. Go do them. We've talked about this. Now it's time to get our hands dirty. If you're mine, follow my example. Jesus had told them previously, it's recorded in Luke 6.46, and he said this, So why do you keep calling me Lord, Lord, when you don't do what I say? In effect, he was saying, you can't call me Lord if you don't follow me. You can't be a Christ follower if you don't serve others. And so to serve with obedience, we need to take this stubborn will that we have, and we need to submit it to Christ. We need to choose to follow Him. Romans 7.4 says this. So my dear brothers and sisters, this is the point. You died to the power of the law when you died with Christ, and now you are united with the one who was raised from the dead. As a result, we can produce a harvest of good deeds for God. And what's incredibly exciting about this verse, this passage, is the fact that when we choose to obey and follow Christ, if we receive Jesus Christ, we have His Spirit in us, and God's power is unleashed in us. And that the powerful God of the universe, His Spirit lives in us, and Jesus will work in and through us to serve others. The motto of Jesus' life, what he told people he was all about was this. He said, I have come to do your will, O God. And so Jesus lived in obedience to the Father, and he met our greatest need, right? And Jesus asked us to be and live in obedience to him so that we can meet the needs of others. And so our last action point is this. If you want to serve with obedience like Jesus, then choose to be a servant and serve. Choose. Make a decision. Resolve this in your mind. It's one of the greatest wrestlings of our will, but it determines who we are and whose we are. And once we decide 
We need to commit. And once we commit, we need to go far enough down the road so that we see the payoff and experience the blessings that God has promised to us. In his uh, uh, book, great book that Rick Warren wrote called The Purpose Driven Life, Rick Warren says this, the strength of an army isn't measured in how many soldiers sit and eat in the mess hall, (laughs) but how they perform on the front lines. And likewise, a church's strength is not seen in how many people show up, but in how many serve in ministry. And that's what Twin Cities Church is all about. This last year, right before Thanksgiving, my family and I, we went to uh, one of the local food banks to serve right before Thanksgiving. And as we got there, I was amazed because we were surrounded by Twin Cities family, you know. We walked and we showed up and we say, hey, Pastor Mark, great to see you. This is a wonderful place to serve. We love serving here. During the Christmas holidays, we take our youth and we go Christmas caroling to some of the local retirement homes. There is this amazing woman that guides us and shows us where to go. And she knows where to go because she's there every single week. She's one of us. I go to over to a new day, and you're there. <laughs> Living Well Medical Clinic, you're there. In the jails, in the juvenile hall, you're there. Hospitality House. Hi, Mark. We're from Twin Cities Church. Last spring, I was in the hospital in a, on a gurney getting ready for emergency surgery for a burst appendix. And there you are. I can't get away from you people. It's crazy. <laughs> Some of you have literally clothed yourself with Jesus Christ. And you're being Jesus all over our community teaching our children, gathering the lost, giving hope to the hopeless. And every week, countless numbers of you make Twin Cities Church come alive. (laughs) You lead groups. You help an addict get clean. You change diapers. You clean the restrooms. You give a warm handshake and a smile to someone that's walking into the church for the first time in 15 years. You serve a warm cup of coffee. You talk to a teenager about their recent breakup. You dump our trash. You park cars in the rain. And in each and every way that you serve, you bring a huge smile to the heart of God. And you radiate God's glory all over this place so that people see the glory of Jesus Christ and are drawn to Him. It's a beautiful thing. Some of you have moved from this serve us mentality to a service attitude. <laughs> we have to be honest. You know, some of us are still struggling, right? Some of us are still, still struggling. We'll, we'll walk out of here and we'll kind of say to ourselves, I just didn't get anything out of the service today. <laughs> Do you hear that? Others, they walk out of the doors and they say, I was so blessed, so blessed through my service today, Lord. Thank you. What do you hear your heart saying? What is the condition of your heart? Is your heart like Jesus? Does it reflect his heart? 
Jesus said, I did not come to be served, but to serve others and give my life as a ransom for many. I want so much. This, is, this message has been so challenging to me, and it's just put a burden in my heart to be more like Jesus, and I am not there. <laughs> I struggle so much with selfishness and with pride, and to be honest with you, there are very few times that I actually view myself as a servant, but I want to learn how to serve like Jesus. Ron mentioned uh, earlier that there's a card in here that today is serve day, and um, I don't want this to sound like some kind of commercial, but I want to really encourage you to take that out and to look through there because God blesses us through service. And there are great opportunities in this church to plug in and find a place where God can use your unique gifting and your unique history to bless others and bless you also in the process. Let's pray. And maybe as uh, you're sitting here today, you just recognize that so much of your life, maybe you've been wasting it on empty dreams. I want to encourage you to say in your heart to God, even right now, God, will you make me a servant? God, please teach me to be humble like you, to be compassionate, to be obedient. God, will you help me get my eyes off of myself so that I can see the needs of others and help me, God, to, to trust that when I do that, that you'll keep your eyes on me and supply all of my needs? Lord, I recognize you've given me everything and everything that I owe, Lord, I owe to you. Make me a servant, humble, and me. Lord, let me lift up those who are weak, and may the prayers of my heart always be. Make me a servant today. Father, thank you for my brothers and sisters here today and the ways that they shine, the ways they humble me, God. I pray that you help us all to learn to serve and to love like you do, and that you would receive all of the glory and honor from all of this, God, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.